body hunters? Yeah, he's got to do something for a living these days. Diane ain't much of a living anymore. Uh, welcome to Texas, Mr. Lone Wadi. I guess we ain't going to see that little Navajo girl again. Well, I guess not. I kind of liked her. But then it's always like that. Like what? Whenever I get to liking someone, they ain't around long. I notice when you get to disliking someone, they ain't around for long either. Hello, this is Max and Jason watching movie. I'm Max. And I'm Jason. And today we will be discussing The Outlaw Josie Wales from 1976, starring Clint Eastwood, Chief Dan George, Sandra Locke, Bill McKinney, John Vernon. Those are the principal actors. Directed by Clint Eastwood himself. And it was made by Clint Eastwood's Malpaso Company. I don't know if that's how you pronounce that, but yeah. but the film was, was basically filmed by Clint Eastwood's production company and then did warner brothers pick it up to distribute yeah yeah they were the distributors but uh but 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 really i believe beginning with probably play misty for me glenn eastwood had formed his own production company and most of his movies were made by that company pretty much from then on but yeah but at this time i mean you did still have to have a a major you still kind of do but but you had to have a major distributor but in this case it's warner brothers gotcha this was his seventh outing as a director and his first western i think well the, the first western he directed that depends. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh, it depends. On paper, on paper, I'm right. I know he's got some uncredited stuff in his uh, in his IMDb filmography. On paper, you're wrong. In fact, you're right. Actually, his first quote unquote Western would have been High Plains Drifter. Okay. 1973. However, the reason I agree with you is that I I think High Plains Drifter is actually a horror movie. Okay, okay. Uh, it has a bit of yes, a supernatural, yes. it has a bit of a supernatural kind of theme to it. Yes. Uh, that I love. I mean, actually, I, I hope that we should do it someday, but he did direct that. Okay. Um, actually, I think that might have been his either second or third film. Okay. Because, uh, I mean, I, I know Play Misty for me was his first, was his directorial debut, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and an impressive debut it was. But, uh, yeah, that's he, my, he did High Plane. That's my mom's favorite movie of his, actually. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, but that's not a bad choice. I mean, basically, no. you know, it it, it 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 covers all the ground fatal attraction would cover later yeah yeah it's basically fatal attraction not to get off on too big of a sidetrack uh but it also has that that interesting jazz soundtrack yeah because he play because doesn't he play i've never seen it actually does he doesn't he play like a, a jazz dj yes that i i believe so and the, the other interesting thing is, do you know who plays the, the role of the stalker, the obsessive fan? I, I don't, I don't. Jessica Walter. Jessica Walter. Jessica Walter from Arrested Development. Lucille. Oh, really? Yep. Oh my and God. Now, now, see, you didn't recognize her name, but, I didn't. but more embarrassing was the fact that I watched the whole fucking movie <laughs> and did not recognize her. Wow. I had to I had to look it up. Man, that, that she was great. Who was that? Jessica Walter, click, click. Oh my God, it's Lucille. (laughs) That's funny. And probably morally, the character from Play Misty for me is probably a better person than Lucille from Arrested Development. (laughs) (laughs) So this is his seventh directorial chair sitting. It's a Western, which he had some experience in, of course, in television. And I guess, I, I guess I was wrong about, you could consider, I suppose, High Plains Drifter a Western. But like you said, there are some pretty big horror elements to it. Uh, yes. 
And he, he would sort of go back to those horror elements a little bit. Not horror. It, w- it wasn't quite horror, but with Pale Rider. Because there was some hint that, that he was a dead man and Pale Rider, too, that had come back. Which is, I, you know, yeah. Which is an and underrated I, Western of his. But go ahead. I've, which I've never seen. Oh, you haven't? Okay. And, 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 and I've, heard, I've heard people say that whenever I've talked about High Plains Drifter. Because I actually... And I know um, Quentin Tarantino is very interested in, in this. That, you know, these films that, that kind of mix genres. You know, I mean, I think we've talked about this about Alien before the, in our conversations that Alien is actually a horror movie even though yeah. it takes place it just happens to take place in space yeah well to me High Plains Drifter is a horror movie that happens to take place in the old west um, I mean it has a lot of the same kind of themes you know he's kind of a gunfighter and you know there's a you know a gang of of ruffians that are you know challenging this town but but really the themes are very much more of a horror movie that's not what we're dealing with with this movie no no quick question totally off topic my son speaking of genres that are mixed my son Finn made the interesting hypothesis that Predator is also kind of a slasher movie is that yeah. fair is that fair totally, totally. Yeah, yeah yeah I thought it totally. was too I just wanted to put it to you uh now that I've got you here and we're t- we're kind of it's pretty tangential but it's close enough that it's, it's close enough for podcast work well and we've covered it before and, yeah, yeah, yeah you know yeah so it's yeah I know I I would I would totally agree with that. Totally. Okay. Okay. All right. So, but returning to the film that we are, we we have told the audience that we're here to talk about um, is written by is this movie is based on a book by a guy named Forrest Carter called I think Going to Texas or Gone to Texas. Gone to Texas. Uh, yeah. Gone to Texas. Philip Kaufman and Sonia Chernis are the screenplay people. And I did a little bit of looking about these people, but Philip Kaufman has got quite an impressive screenplay CV. He's part of the Indiana Jones writer team, the screenplay team. Uh, yep. And he's got a bunch of other like kind of prominent films in his, not, not necessarily prominent, but he's been busy. Sonia oh. Chernow did some television did this okay. movie and then she just sort of disappears from the record. Uh, yeah, I mean, actually, I, I didn't I, I didn't do a lot of research on her. Of course, Phil Kaufman, his IMDb page in a in a perfect world would list his podcasts uh, in which he was discussed. And uh, Max and Jason watch a movie would be on that list because <laughs> uh, we actually have reviewed one of his films and that was The Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yes, yes. And so, but, but yeah, so he did that. He did the Indiana Jones films. Uh, he's credited with the new Indiana Jones film that is in production right now. So, uh, a topic for another day, but but it, quite 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 productive career. Let's see here. There's a sequel oh, to this book that I don't yeah. think has ever been made into a movie. But uh, the story basically tells uh, purports to tell the story of a guerrilla fighter who is a guerrilla fighter for the Missouri Confederates who haven't surrendered and right. uh, who goes on a campaign of vengeance. Purports. This is what the screenplay and the synopsis purport to, to, to do. But this is one of the messiest scripts I think I, we've reviewed on the podcast. And I don't know if that's a critique or not, but the film gets distracted by from that vengeance plot line really early. And I think it improves dramatically. Josie Wales is a, is a film about a man who's whose uh, family is, he's a nice Missouri farmer and his family is murdered by savage union sympathizers. Uh, His wife is raped and killed and his son is burned to death in a house saying, pa, pa, pa. The uh, the, un- the the union sympathizers, the band of people called the Red Legs, knock him out. For some reason, they don't kill him, but they hit him with a sword. You might know the actor who plays this character, who hits him with his saber. But uh, but he uh, he hits Clint Eastwood 
in some of, and Clint Eastwood reacts to this strike with some of the worst acting I've ever seen anyone in cinema do. And he falls over and and just kind of observes uh, through a state of semi-conscious haze, his family being destroyed by these vicious, savage Union soldiers. And he buries his family. And, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. That's his second worst acting in the film. This first worst acting in the film is after he buries his, his, his much ma- maligned, molested, marauded, pillaged, raped family, uh, he sticks a cross in the ground and tries to affect the emotion of sadness and crying. And it's really bad, I thought. And he collapses and he hides his face behind the cross because at some point you realize, I just can't do tears. I'm not built for that. The the cross breaks and it's almost, I think it's supposed to be a very touching scene or it's supposed to be comedy. I couldn't tell which one it was going to be. But but then then the Missouri rebels come upon him. Yes. Now, Jason, have I, have, I, have I accurately described the opening stanza of the film? You, uh, you have. I actually have a comparison to make. I actually think some of the early scenes in this movie are kind of, uh, in terms of manipulation, are very similar to Bra- the setup of Braveheart, which would come, you know, a lot later. I think Braveheart works very hard to kind of manipulate the audience to create this sympathy with William Wallace, played by Mel Gibson, uh, uh, in, in in his 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 effort to, to destroy and defeat the English. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think one of the things that you're saying is is that uh, this film does something very similar that Braveheart does. Braveheart takes the the English king Edward the First, under whom Parliament was created, by the way. So, I mean, the the, the English king most responsible for the beginning of parliamentary government in 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 Britain is this horrible horrible villain in Braveheart. When I first, when it first started, I wondered, okay, when's this taking place? Is this, is this during Bleeding Kansas before the war? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bleeding Kansas was the, you know, the, 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 when there was an act of Congress that said that the individual territories before they became states could decide if they wanted slavery or not. And so both territories of Kansas and Nebraska were flooded with pro-slavery and anti-slavery people mm-hmm. who were desperate to, to, you know, effect their will upon the territory. And they fought each other and they killed each other. But I think this was supposed to take place during the war. Yeah. Now, I actually would like to point out some some little touches that I like. You, okay. know, you were very, very critical of this scene. I actually liked the subtlety of the opening shot, which is a very, very beautifully photographed where Josie is just farming this land and his son is going before him and he's getting rocks out of the way. Yeah. That's all he's doing is getting is getting rocks out of the way. And then and then the son is called to the to the house and Josie tells him you know you listen to your ma or whatever and his son goes and that's it yep. you know this is the entire establishment of Josie's relationship with his wife and his son more like gladiator yep. which yep. comes later Josie's family are only ideas in our head yeah, yeah. really they're, you know they're not necessarily real people but I actually kind of like that you know just rather than you know, belabor the point and and show him interacting with his son yep. maybe maybe what you're getting at in what you're saying is that this scene called for Clint Eastwood to do things that are not really in his wheelhouse. I want to say though, uh, I was just really hard on that, on this opening stanza of the film. And I'm going to be hard on, I think this film generally uh, quite a bit, but uh, there are things I like about it. Uh, so audience, don't worry though. I'll have a couple of positive things to say about the film. The end credits are very nice. No, I have more to say about the film that's, that's sort of nice than, you know, 
you are absolutely right that this scene with his son is pretty tender. And uh, Clint Eastwood gives his son a little like, his son doesn't see it, but he gives his son a little knowing smile like, that's my boy. And yeah. it's actually pretty good. But there are things that Clint Eastwood is not designed as an actor to do. And I think crying and being emoting, at this point in his career, he's not he's not there. I, I think the camera would have done to, during the during the scene I was complaining about where he is driving the wooden cross into the into the ground the camera would have been good to pan away from him or fade to black as he starts to cry i think that would have that would have been i mean he's the director it's not my fault that i noticed that he can't 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 manufacture tears or look particularly sad i mean i i sort of wonder if he's not a terminator sort of a sent back in time trying to affect human emotions why do you cry (laughs) but anyway it might have been good to fade to black Anyway, uh, so so, but I, I agree with you. That scene is pretty nice. We don't we don't get a lot of it. We, like you said, we don't necessarily need a lot of it. That scene does a lot of good work. Uh, and then, is there anything else you liked about this scene of the of the savage, barbarous North? For me, it was sufficiently manipulative mm-hmm. uh, because uh, it was very sudden. It's done very quickly. And I actually felt that it established his motivation very well. Yeah. In the very next scene, we have uh, a group of Confederate soldiers led by, I believe, an actual historical figure, William T. Anderson, okay. who shows up and, and basically says that they're going to go out and mete out justice. And so Josie becomes a Confederate cal. Cavalryman, yeah, yeah, fighting in in the West during the Civil War, and I guess we're to assume that he does so just because his family was was killed because he yeah. wasn't fighting before, yeah, yeah. And I and I think that the war was the war was going on. So hold on, here, sorry. Um, yeah, so, you know, um, so he wasn't fighting before. So then, and then I think we go to the opening credits, which is overlaid over a montage, right? Yes. Did it look familiar to you at all? I mean, we've seen this kind of montage done a lot. It reminds me a little bit. I, I don't know what you're what you're fishing for exactly here but i remember this this scene reminded me very much of a much later film tombstone when when kurt russell and and uh, val kilmer's uh erp and holiday are riding down the cowboys but I, I think we've seen a lot of this but but what what scene what what movie are you are you trying to reference specifically what i'm trying to reference and even though it's not a montage and in fact i don't even think it has it necessarily has the same style of you know the the the, the freezing of the frame yep. but jerry field does the score for this film. He also did the score for The Wild Bunch. Okay, okay. And I felt the opening credits felt like The Wild Bunch. In fact, as I watched it, I thought, this feels like The Wild Bunch. And maybe it's sonically that it did. Yeah. Because actually, uh, Fielding's score, and this is not a criticism, and I'll get to that, but Fielding's score feels a lot like the score he did for The Wild Bunch. A lot of percussion, a lot of drums. Gotcha. uh, Military drums. Yes, yes. That that comes up, especially at the end, end credits, too, is Josie's about to ride away or and also when he rides to meet uh, Tin Bears. But I'm not surprised that you noticed something there because one of the things I noticed and as I was watching this film and, and trying to find my way into it, I did notice that to, 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 to me, sorry, I didn't just notice this, but to me, the film felt like Eastwood is still trying to find his style and the way he wants to tell stories because I do notice a lot of techniques of the great Western masters he borrows from for this film there's yeah. some there's some doorway composition shots that were right out of the searchers there's you, more than you, that from the searchers yeah. yeah you just mentioned the the wild bunch and some of the similarities to that he's also dabbling in this anti-hero 
genre, which was which was sort of you know almost the Western, which was very popular in the Western, but it was also in a lot of different fiction from the '70s and late '60s. But in the Western, it almost becomes self-referential, like almost a critique or an examination of the Western itself. Though this doesn't quite go that far, and I I know people think that it it is sort of in strongly in the anti-hero tradition. But I I I'm, I have a lot of mixed feelings about this movie, and most of my mixed feelings don't aren't even. But one of the things I do appreciate about this movie uh, is that we're kind of seeing a future master developing his craft. Yeah. Because there's a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of nice touches that he does in this film. You talk about how how excellently he manipulates the audience. And, and, and I know when I, I think when I first saw this movie, this is probably three decades ago, maybe. This is a long time ago. Yeah. I haven't watched this yeah, movie since too. I first saw it, honestly. There are lines that stick out at me. And I was, you know, when you mentioned it, I mean, I immediately remember the line when last week when you said the next movie we're going to do is that all Josie Wales. There were some lines that immediately, boom, right to the front of my head um, because I've heard them over and over in popular culture. And yeah, uh, yeah. But I remember them as well. Uh, great lines. Mm-hmm. And some of the great scenes have outlasted in my memory the rest of the film. And okay. and so I don't, th- so the so for me, I, I always was kind of judging the quality of the film by the scenes from the film that I've always loved. And also when I saw it, I was an ignoramus about a lot of the history of our country. And yeah. so so the film, seeing it as, a, as an older gentleman who's yeah. read a few books since first seeing it, it was a little harder for me to just enjoy the movie, actually. I had a lot of trouble enjoying this movie. Let's see. So we probably need to talk about this because this was something that I didn't know. And and actually, Clint Eastwood did not know. And actually, a lot of people did not know. And I guess that we should bring it up is that Forrest Carter, when he wrote the book, was was kind of marketing himself as a Native American writer. Was he? He was. And so many people, when they read The Outlaw Josie Wales or, you know, Gone to Texas, uh, they thought they were reading this book by, by a Native American writer. He then wrote a book after this, which has nothing to do with Josie Wales, which is supposed to be from the perspective of a Native American chief okay. that that Oprah loved and had on her book list that she later took off. Because as it came out, shockingly, and I just learned this mm-hmm. before I picked this movie, my heart actually sunk when I actually read this, yeah. that Forrest Carter, uh, despite what he said, was actually a KKK guy and a speechwriter for George Wallace. And uh, I, I actually was like, wow, you know, that's that's terrible. I mean, why? Uh, maybe we shouldn't do this movie. Yeah. But, but Clint Eastwood did not know that. Nope, and nope. in fact, when they made this movie, no one knew that. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was the popularity of the movie that, that actually revealed that to people. Okay, yeah. Uh, and so now, Forrest well, Carter, you know, people people no longer read his books. Yeah. And Oprah, you know, took, as I said, took that book off of her list. Um, and so, you know, I kind of thought, well, really, this is Clint Eastwood, uh, who, who's really the, the artist of record, even though I, I did read that Phil Kaufman was supposed to direct this. Yes, yes, he was the initial, yeah, he was the, he was yeah. the, initial director um, and 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 uh, he didn't he didn't get he didn't like the choice of Sandra Locke which Eastwood fought for and since it was made by his production company Eastwood basically fired him and took over but um now, uh, pause for a second here if I if I can have you do that for a second I was really shocked to learn that Sandra Locke was 32 years old when she made this movie she looks no old, she looks like she's under 20 in this movie I, oh she, she does she looks very she has, very young yeah she has a really uh, shockingly young looking uh, 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 appearance and so 
when I was, I always thought that she was like, I always thought that there was some folks, Clint Eastwood and Sandra Locke had a very long-term relationship that might've started on this film, I think. No, it, it, it did start on this film and it lasted until the late eighties. Yeah. I always thought that the controversy about that was because she was a much younger woman than, than Clint Eastwood. Like, uh, and, and, and he probably was, Clint Eastwood is an ancient human, but, but she was, she was actually 32. And I was a little shocked by that. Uh, she was not that much younger than, she's not that much, she not that much younger than Clint Eastwood, actually, because he was born in 1930. She was born in, I want to say, the late 40s. But anyway, I just was yeah. shocked by how how young she looks. But she's really 32. Yeah, yeah. I, I I had always heard that the reason it was controversial is because she was such a bad actress. And uh, I mean, this is what I've heard. But actually, I think she's fine in this. But she's fine uh, in this. People felt that she kept getting roles because of her relationship with him that she didn't deserve. No, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure um, that there's something. Then there may be something to that. But look, folks. If if the knock that she is is that she's not a good actor and that she's not a good actor in this film, well, she's got she's got a lot of company in this film. I think that there's a lot of bad acting in this movie. And Clint Eastwood, in the first act, he's as guilty of it as anybody else. You know, we might disagree a lot about this movie. I think um, we might. I think we might. Yeah, yeah. I. But I, but, well, uh, but, but, but returning to uh, what's that? What's that racist name? Forrest Carter for a minute. Forrest Carter. Yeah. I I did wonder how much Eastwood and Kaufman were sort of a prisoner to the story beats of that book. And, and, I, and I, you kind of see that product here. In this next scene that we're about to discuss, which is which is a problematic scene because it's over the top. Yeah. Um, because the thing is, is that I think what we're dealing with, and, and actually when I watched this next scene, I was repulsed by it because it, 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 it had a great deal of unreality to it and it almost felt like propaganda. But I think that the one of the reasons I felt that way is because I, I had learned who this person was and I was rather uncomfortable with what I was watching. Yeah. But at the same time, that's not something that the makers of this film would have had in their mind. Well, so I think this, so, so, so the problem, the potential problem with the, the, the definite problem with the novel yeah. and the potential problem with the film is that it becomes part of the lost cause Southern narrative. Well, I, I'm um, almost, I'm almost positive that the Carter novel is, is, is even more nakedly lost cause nonsense than this movie is. Um, but see, okay, but see, I wonder that not I, the only reason I wonder that is because he tried to disguise it by saying that he was a Native American, and mm -hmm. so people read it through that lens. Yep, because yep. actually, I kind of feel like, and this to go along with what you're saying about being a prisoner to the book, that this movie feels like it's very subtle in its okay. If this if, film if, is so, so, so if if Clint Eastwood was intending to essay a lost cause film, then I right. think the subtlety it would be subtle but i also think you have to we have to consider that the the book is filtered through philip kaufman and sonia chernoff who maybe softened some of this and eastwood too may have softened some of that lost yeah, cause yeah. narrative because I, th there's only so far you can go to to, expl to to soften the confederacy you can only mention so much of it to soften it and so that's right but but i found audience uh the, the the book and the movie sort of link the causes of the Native American and the Confederates. Yes. The Confederacy. No. And, and right. I think that that is a very definite move and a very manipulative, dishonest move uh, of Forrest Carter. It turned out that the Cherokee Nation did side with the Confederate States of the America. Uh, America. A minority, uh, a minority portion of it ended up doing that. A guy named uh, Stan Wahi, who is sort of a character in this movie, was a brigadier general for the Confederate 
Confederate Army. And he signed, uh, he was a very early adopter of the Indian Removal Act. He sort of signed a treaty with the United States government and tried, it seemed like he, this is my interpretation audience. If anybody wants to expand on this and teach Jason and I about that, please email us, please contact me at the supper test on, on Twitter. But to me, it seems like Stan Wati was trying to get ahead of the Indian Removal Act and benefit himself and I guess some of his uh, supporters. Most of the Cherokee Nation didn't agree with his signing of this act and didn't agree with his uh, siding with uh, the Confederate States of the United, uh, uh, the Confederate States of America, the CSA. But he was a brigadier general for the Confederate States of America, Stan Wati. He was a plantation owner and a Christian and a slaveholder. But I don't want to say that the Cherokee Nation as a whole was a supporter of 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 the Confederates of the Confederacy. I mean, Stan Wadi, there was an attempt at assassination by other Cherokees on him. Uh, so there's a lot of conflict within the Cherokee Nation about that. But also, and very justifiably, there was a lot of distrust, uh, you know, uh, among Native peoples for the Union. Right. And so, like, the enemy of my enemy is my friend uh, is, is, is what some Native American tribes thought. Now, there were plenty of Native American tribes who did side with the Union. So it's a very complex problem. But I, what I want to say is that I think Forrest Carter is very deliberately trying to link the justice of the Native American grievance against the United States government with the Confederate grievance of the United, uh, the Confederate grievance. And they're not, they're not equal moral claims, but, but he wants to link them because it, it does his side some good to link the Confederate cause with the just grievance of the Native American, I think. And I, I think it's a very delib- deliberate move on Carter's part, uh, a very manipulative move, a very dishonest move on his part. I don't think Clint Eastwood or the team that's making this movie is is making the same move. I think they're just following the skeleton of a fairly exciting story. See, that's what I think. And yeah. and, the, and the reason that I think that is not just because of, you know, you know having certain beliefs about Clint Eastwood, mm. but rather that the, the history of the American Western, you know, uh, is full of Western heroes who some fought for the Confederacy and some did not. Yeah. Rooster Cogburn from uh, True Grit, yeah. even in the novel, fought for the Confederacy. Yeah. So, I mean, that I mean that is something that is done a great deal in Western literature and uh, Western film, sometimes well, sometimes not. Yeah. I, I would be curious how much slavery is mentioned in the novel, because actually it makes one wonder was he trying to take the confederate and i'm talking about forrest carter here not ben eastwood yeah yeah. was he trying to take the confederate cause and kind of strip it of its controversial uh, aspects to try to convince people that you know well we were the ones that were the the put upon we were the ones that were you know that are were the victims yeah uh so i i wonder if the novel even did that because uh, if the novel mentions slavery at all yeah well right so you see what i'm saying that that, that yeah. whole argument that that it had nothing to do with slavery that it was just it was just anti-government yeah. and anti the federal government removed the native americans and 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 invaded us and and you know the southerners that that's the message that they were saying yeah i i haven't uh, i haven't read the forest carter novel i'm curious about it just to see how like i suspected of great of being greatly disingenuous so i would like to i i i, I and and given that we get the skeleton of it in this, I, I am almost positive that it is a, is a fairly naked lost cause narrative. But I mean, Carter's not alone here. I mean, Gone with the Wind is a lost cause narrative. And 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 without 
explicitly talking about the horrors of slavery, um, the lost cause narrative for people who are unfamiliar with this, and it's hard to believe that there is anybody here in the year 2021, 20, uh, the year of our Lord Kang, that, that, that people don't know. But, but it is the idea that the, the Civil War had almost nothing to do with slavery, and it was all about states' rights, and that even though there was slavery, that the slaves actually quite loved their masters, and most slave owners were great, and yada, yada, yada. That the war was a war of Northern aggression, and, and this is certainly something that they still said in the South, that when the Civil War is taught that it's the a war of Northern aggression, which is a shocking claim, considering that prior to the Civil War in Congress, the chief cause of violence was often Southern politicians who would make any legislative yes. matter um, a matter of honor that they would duel people over. So it made yes. it made it made things hard to it made it made it hard to discuss legislation on the matters of merit. And and if you make everything a matter of honor, then 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 it's hard for for your political opposition to say anything because they're worried about getting in a duel. And so that's that and that was all Southern honor culture that was primarily the cult the culprit there. And then, of course, the notion that it's a war of Northern aggression neglects the fact that it was the South that started the Civil War by attacking the North. Quite right. Quite right. And so so it's all a preposterous bit of revisionism. And I've heard that there are good reasons, there were good reasons to, at the end of the war, to try and quash this aggression and and recrimination because you want to unite the nation after after such a after such a incredible conflagration of, of of violence the south shouldn't necessarily you you wouldn't want the people of the south to necessarily bear the badge of villain in their own nation once the the nation was reconstituted so there was certainly maybe some some reason to to not be vicious in reconstruction and I, I'm getting off track here guys but uh, I, I'm not defending anything that happened no Oh, no, I I you know, I I agree with you, but 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 to and actually I like that you got off track. We could probably do a whole podcast on the whole lost cause, and not only the lost cause, but but any troublesome philosophical position depicted in film. How do we deal with that? Yeah. Because you know, there's not only Birth of a Nation, there's not only Gone with the Wind, but there's also the Battleship Potemkin, uh, a wonderful wonderful Soviet film from the 20s that is basically a propaganda film. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, that glorifies the uh the soviet system i, I i've never seen hitler's uh hitler's hitler hitler didn't make the movie but uh you know apparently i can't remember the name of the filmmaker but there was a a, a brilliant filmmaker in nazi mm-hmm. germany who made films for the nazis yeah. who is often praised for their uh you know filmmaking prowess but they were doing it in the service of propaganda yeah here's what i want to say i feel like that and i think we'll definitely both agree on this i hate propaganda. I I do not like films that try to tell people what to think or to manipulate them into a into a philosophical position really of any kind even ones that I agree with I just find that to be very dishonest and the question here is because there's no doubt that Forrest Carter was was pushing a a lost cause narrative that would be distasteful if one read the I mean again I've not read the book but uh, it it would be a distasteful narrative written by anybody now this film was not made by Forrest Carter. So no. the question would be, is this, is the outlaw Josie Whale a propaganda film
film for the lost cause or isn't it? Then the next question would be, no matter what the answer of that is, is it good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. because I would argue that The Battleship of Temkin is a propaganda film, which I don't like. Yeah. Again, any idea. I do not like propaganda films. I do not like films that tell me what to think. I like to see films that show me somebody else's story and then I re I read that. Yeah. I decide what I what I think of the experience of the character. And then is it a propaganda film? Battleship Potemkin. Yes. Is it great? Yes, it is. Yeah. It is a great film. So there's two questions here. Yeah. There's two questions here. And and both questions are not dependent on one another. I prefer films that are not full of propaganda, yeah. that are not full of intellectual uh, manipulation. I, I, I just think it interferes with storytelling. Yeah, yeah. But then there's the question, is it done well? well no, so I guess there's, there's two, you see what I'm saying? There's two questions well, we have to answer. And, and, and I think I, I'm prepared to answer the first question. Is this a propaganda film for the lost cause? No. I don't think that it is because earlier I said that this script is kind of a meandering mess. And I think that that actually saves it from being a lost cause narrative. Okay. And I, I don't know if that's an intentional thing just because the because the book has things that Kaufman might have been, the, Kauf, the script writers might have been more interested in than telling Carter's story. Now, and I'll get to the question of if it's good or not, but I want to return to the, the you, you talked about propaganda and manipulativeness. I, I don't think that this film functions as propaganda, even for what I think that it sort of is, which I, I read an academic, well, I read the abstract of an academic paper because I couldn't actually access the whole paper today about this movie and about the milieu, the conservative milieu in which Stephen, I mean, I, sorry, in which Clint Eastwood was swimming at the time. I mean, Clint Eastwood is a well-known conservative politician, more in the line of a, maybe a, a fiscal conservative and not necessarily a socially conservative guy. But, Correct. but the film definitely has strains of this kind of anti-statist libertarian view. And, and, I'm not, and I don't think that that's a, I, I, I don't mind those ideas being introduced into the film because uh, the, A, they don't feel like propaganda to me and they do feel like kind of a very natural uh, expression of ideas that Clint Eastwood was probably having. I think his ideas about about governance and about how people interact and live together are bonkers and wrong. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, you know, governments don't don't live with people. It's people who live with people. I can't remember exactly what the fuck Josie Wales says at the uh, at a at a very important moment in the film. I can't either. It, it, it's probably the right thing to say to the person he's talking to, which we'll get to in a bit. But I didn't really mind these kind of libertarian ideas being offered because I don't. I didn't really. I didn't feel like I was being preached to. I, I felt like I was being talked to by Josie Wales, who might have okay. had these ideas by this point in the film. But I suppose we should get to the potentially problematic scene that that sets the 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 film a rolling so we get this montage of josie wales being a confederate guerrilla fighter and then at the end of that and i think that that montage is pretty well done it, it could have used that that theme song from uh team america team america <laughs> but but at the end we see these kind of people who are pretty harried and they're, they're at the end of the montage we see this and uh, the leader of them says hey the union soldiers say if we come and swear uh allegiance to the united states and say we won't take up arms again we're it's over we're done we can go back to our normal lives the actor's name i can't i can't uh john vernon who I, also he also played the chief of police in dirty harry yes yes i mean he's 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 uh, folks this is a john vernon is a guy you've seen 
in a lot of movies. I've seen him. He he's a great character actor. He can do comedy. He can do drama. He's he's great, and he's great in this. Oh, yeah, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, his best role. I mean, the guy could do anything, as Jason just demonstrated by the citation <laughs> of that movie. But he did a lot of television, did a lot of big screen. I mean, clearly a character actor, never was a leading man, which I'm not. I'm not sure why he was a very striking looking figure. I thought. Yeah, yeah. But but he says, "I'm going in, boys. I'm tired," and they they take him in. And he he goes in, and most of the other guys are tired too. But we learned that Wales really isn't there for the Confederate cause. He's he's pursuing these red legs these people who killed his family in a low down and dirty way everybody else leaves but but he doesn't and that leads us to the union soldiers who are processing these 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 new these new people take it away jason i i, I... Yeah, yeah yeah so so they're processing them and they're going to make them swear allegiance to the union because it, well i mean it is a fact of history that you know amnesty was offered uh yeah. you know there was an attempt to to knit the nation back together and so but there's a senator present you know which kind of cements the the whole anti-government aspect to it and the senator is um very pleased that because apparently fletcher has betrayed the entire troop he yeah. convinced them all to come in and surrender and, and i have to say that's actually well no, uh, okay I'll, I'll get to this in a second about fletcher's character so uh you know he gives him a drink and you know good job well done and all this kind of thing terrell played by bill mckinney who's one of the greatest redneck villains yes, yes. that could ever be in any movie uh he plays the rapist in deliverance oh that's, um, right, that's right yeah so i mean he he's was in a lot of stuff at that at that period but uh he he is he is a good villain here as Bill McKinney tends to be. Everyone surrendered except Josie Wales. Yeah. And which strikes fear in the hearts of everyone around. But uh but basically there's a plot. They they collect all the weapons from the from the Confederate bushwhackers and they start doing this half-hearted oath of allegiance to the United States and then they uh the Union soldiers hit the deck and they're all gatling gunned down. The Confederate and the Confederate surrenderees are yeah are 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 killed. And and, but Josie recognizes this is going to happen and in, in superhero form, rides in alone on a horse. He's not in time to save the men. Uh, he does save one, but but he he gets he, he shoots all the men who, behind the Gatling gun, commandeers the Gatling gun, and then proceeds to kill everybody. Strangely, Clint Eastwood in this scene, Josie Wales is a Gatling gun, folks, especially this time, was not a weapon of high precision. Mm-hmm. And yet, Clint Eastwood's Josie Wales performs feats of horse massacre avoidance with this Gatlin gun that just wouldn't have happened. Not a single horse is shot as he mows down Union soldier after Union soldier in the scene, which look, folks, I'm just, I'm, I'm giving that scene a hard time. I don't really care that much. I think that a lot of the stunt work in the scene is pretty bad. The way people fall, the, I don't think that's very good. But uh, No, I, I noticed that, yeah. But one of the things that bothered me, and it has bothered me ever since you identified this problem in another movie. Many years ago, Jason and I left the theater baffled by Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. Yes. And all I could think about was your observation about the way the apes behaved in relation to humans. Yes. Um, so the Union soldiers in this movie um, yeah, yeah. have... A, I, I know where you're going with this and I agree. Yeah, and they have such an unreasonable 
un, unbelievable disdain and absolute hatred for the Southern soldiers that they're processing that it's impossible to believe. You said yeah. that you, you were just talking about uh, the actor who plays the, the main bad guy, Bill McKinney, um, yeah. redneck villain. You know, if he'd been the only person behaving in this way, yeah. Like, yeah. if he had been like yeah. a, a union asset that was out of control, you could sort of believe this. But yes. every single person in the union army behaves like Bill McKinney's Captain Terrell. It's yeah. unreasonable. It's unbelievable. It's ahistorical, which which folks don't get me wrong. I you know obviously I'm happy every time I'm watching a Civil War movie. I I dance a little jig when Confederates get gunned down. I just love it when the Confederates lose battles. I love seeing Confederate graveyards. I'm just an awful person when it comes to the Confederacy, and I don't. I'm not even going to bother apologizing to, for that, you know. But uh, and and I I shouldn't have to. So that said, I'm not saying that the Union or the United States government has always been on the side of angels or done the right thing but there's no balance in this movie ever about that the the every single and this i I swear to fucking god audience nobody from the north is depicted in a positive light um the kansas city people kansas was a free state and the kansas city people sandra Locke, uh, laura lee and her mother are depicted as proud arrogant assholes and when they get their comeuppance in the film that's the first thing josie Wales says oh they're not so proud now are they these are free state people now i think if you're a, a, a lost cause shipper and you and you and you harbor the kinds of ideas that a guy like Forrest Carter had, you're going to pick up on these things. Nothing. I don't think that, like I said, I don't think that Clint Eastwood was intentionally laying them down. But there are all these subtle digs at the North and the Union that that I think add up to a, a picture that makes it hard for me to watch because there is really no attempt to balance the scales. Really, I you know what you just said about the Kansas people. When we get to that, I I will push back against that on this scene and on on the depiction of the villains is and i especially love what you said bill mckinney being psychotic you know you have that one psychotic guy yeah absolutely like that would have been i agree this scene the it's not uh, you know despite what you said about the stunt work which i agree with you it's not that this is an unexciting scene but it's an unrealistic scene it has no realism to it and 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 i will say this when i saw this scene my phone was still warm from my internet search in which I had discovered that that uh, Forrest Carter was who he was. Yeah. Uh, when I saw this scene, I almost turned the movie off. Oh, wow. And texted yeah. you and said, you know, maybe we need to do a different movie. Yeah. Um, uh, because because I I definitely watched the scene and saw it through that lens, yeah. and I was not pleased. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I agree with what you just said. However, I finished the movie because for me the movie changed after this. Well, it's it's, um, not, it's not too long after this that I think the movie could almost benefit from. So so folks, this is the first act of the film. I guess we could call this the first act. It, uh, Josie and his and this kid confederate escape kids wounded and and that begins the the outlaw josie wales portion of the movie and i almost think they could have chopped that opening stanza maybe the montage of him doing this thing but but 
I think the film changes for the better when the scriptwriters get distracted with everything else that happens in the film because the movie sort of becomes like a, a travel log where Josie Wales picks up uh, weird people who just attach themselves to his wagon. And I think the movie improves Im immensely after after it becomes a, a standard Clint Eastwood kind of film because the film is built as a revenge picture, but Josie Wales mostly is distracted and just trying to get to Texas for most of the film. No, that's quite right. He would rather not run in to those Union soldiers again. Absolutely. Um, no, uh, but see, okay, but that is no, that's a problem with billing and advertising. No, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. that's a but that's a virtue of the film. Yeah. No, uh, no, no. A film where he's just going around like a sniper, shooting yeah. down these people that killed his family would be boring. Yeah. That's not what they give us, and this is where from here on out, you know, I I I really like almost everything that follows. I like. Um, I, 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 there's a lot that I do like about what follows i still think there's a problem some problems of bad acting and stuff like that but i i also think that some other problems i have with the film is now now eastwood is not a neophyte behind the director chair at this point but he's still trying to find his way and i don't know if this is a problem of the carter novel or the script writers but there are also they incorporate a lot of western tropes uh, we get the we get the snake oil salesman almost right after he leaves after he saves the kid from the camp we, we get a lot of western tropes and there's nothing wrong with tropes i don't necessarily i don't necessarily mind them eastwood leans on some of these ideas you know pretty early on in the film and it makes for the there, there's some great cinema in it too like uh, uh when he and the kid are trying to ferry across the uh the river and they 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 run into uh uh, a corrupt boatman and uh, the <laughs> almost definitionally a corrupt snake oil salesman. Um, yeah, the guy's yeah. like, "Oh, your kid needs this. This will this will solve everything." And Clint Eastwood, Clint Eastwood is is at his best when he's being a laconic tough guy. Yeah, and the guy's like, uh, "This will help that. This will help it." And he's like, and Clint Eastwood says, "Well, it'll help just about anything." So yeah, that's that's right. That's right. It'll help just about anything. And then Clint Eastwood, his his big character trait in this film is that Josie Wales spits a lot, a lot of tobacco, and yeah. he spits. To tobacco on the guy's beautiful white suit and he says how is it with stains <laughs> and that's a nice line it's a funny moment in the film but is also tonally incorrect with the considering the fact that he's being pursued by barbarians who just destroyed his family you know i mean it's 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 almost like the comedy of uh of Red River, it doesn't always fit. But but if I if I ignore the first act of the film, everything else makes sense in the movie. He's an outlaw. Yeah. He's trying to get away from from the people who are pursuing him. He's trying to get into the Indian territories to 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 get away from the law for a little bit. If I just imagine that the first act didn't happen, yeah, then the movie works. I think for the most part. Does that make sense? To I you? no, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. I I I agree. I mean, I actually felt like the movie had to do a lot of work for me. After after all of what I had seen, and, and actually, I agree with you. It was a combination of things. I, I was I was rather uncomfortable with the film. Yeah, and, and and that doesn't necessarily matter. And 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 for me, I mean, and again, I don't want to offend anybody because I I am not afraid to watch movies that are made by people that I disagree with. Yeah. You know, as I as I had just said, that's not that's not my problem. Yeah. Uh, my problem is okay if you're just going to hit me over the head with ideas that I don't agree with. Yeah. Then 
then fuck you. I'm not going to want, I'm not going to, uh, and, and I mean, if that's all you're going to do and you're not going to give me anything else, then, then I, I can't even engage with this. There's no, no one should engage with this. And, And I think that this film started to drift into that area. Now, quite frankly, though, it's possible that 30 years ago, maybe we wouldn't have noticed that. I think in 1976, people didn't notice it because they didn't know anything about uh, Forrest Carter. They didn't know about his... Even aside from that, though, I mean, like... I, I, I've read a few essays today and one, of the, and one of the things that's hard to deny is that there's a lot of Confederate sympathetic movies. Now, not necessarily sympathetic to the, the actual cause of the Confederacy, but there's a lot of lost cause narrative cinema. Most of our cinema is very friendly to the Confederate Confederacy. I mean, how many, off the top of your head, how many pro-Union films can you think of that don't involve Abraham Lincoln, where the Union person is the hero? Union person is the hero. Where the union well, is the hero. Where the union is a whole well glory. Horse, well, you're right. The uh, the the horse soldiers with John Ford. Okay. Uh, John Wayne, William Holden are are union cavalrymen. Okay. But yeah, no, you're but, but you have a point off the top of my head. <clears throat> Rio Lobo, uh, John Wayne's in the union, but okay. uh, uh, but 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 even even in these films, slavery's oh, not it's, mentioned. It's, yeah, it's, it's it's not mentioned. Um, but like even but the even before that, like. Shame, a film, yeah. it doesn't really ever express a lot of it, but uh, Jack Palance is, is a low-down Yankee, yada, yada, before Shane guns him down, I think. But, but there's this sort of history of that sort of thing. But if you get past the first act of the film, then it becomes this, this weird kind of almost uh, fairly interesting picture about Josie Wales trying to affect his escape from his pursuers while constantly picking up people he has to care for. Loner, yes. loner has yes. to pick up, become, becomes a, a not loner. Right. Um, yeah. So, so, so uh, right, right, and and the film does that ver- does that very well, and we'll get into that in a second. But uh, but I would suggest to you, for a long time in this podcast, we've pretty much gone scene by scene. I don't. I'm tempted not to do that with this because because this is such a fruitful discussion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I'm I'm really enjoying this, and I think that people. I, I, I just I think it's a necessary discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, this is this is this is the thing to talk about about this film. Yeah. But uh, in terms of the just so, so maybe even random virtues. One of the things about the dialogue that as a history guy that I really, really love are just little throwaway things like uh, when, when Josie gets to the town and actually I think initially meets the Kansans that uh, Max was talking about. There's a group of Kansans that are heading for Texas because they've been lied to and told that it's this, you know, this wonderful paradise that they're, that they're headed to. But there's kind of this conversation. Um, Josie meets this, this uh, elderly lady and her daughter? Yes, it's, no, uh, no, I think it's your granddaughter. It's her, her granddaughter. granddaughter. Her granddaughter. Grandma Sarah. Laura Lee is, is the granddaughter. And they are headed for Texas. Yeah. And Grandma has a lot of opinions. She about does. Pe- people who are not from Kansas. Yes, yes. And uh, uh, in fact, I, th- I, I think she even says something to Josie about being from Missouri. Yeah, yeah. And how she doesn't like people from Missouri. And then I, so this is what I love. And then the bartender, or the bartender, or no, it's a uh, general store. It's a, yeah, general and store. A general store, and the, the the proprietor of the general store says, "I'm a Hoosier myself." Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and then she says, "Never thought much of Hoosiers." <laughs> like, she, like she doesn't like anybody that's not from Kansas. Yeah. 
and and there was something about the dialogue there that I really enjoyed yeah. because actually that's something that's the kind of conversation that would have happened yes. because where you came from, what state you came from was more important even 70 years ago than it is now. Yeah. But certainly at that time it was very important. And I actually like grandma. I mean, I I, I think her opinions her opinions are not to be followed. Yeah. But, but I like the fact that she has them. Okay, grandma's one of my favorite characters. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll just say that because she has all these opinions, but they don't really color how she interacts with people yes. or whether or not she accepts people. Yeah, yeah. No, so, so I actually, I actually, I, and this is where I said I was going to push back a little bit about the Kansans. The Kansans, the Kansans definitely turn out to be wrong uh, about Texas. Yeah. And grandma was definitely lied to by her son, yeah, I yeah. believe, uh, that, you know, that this was going to be a great place to go to. She never becomes bitter right no, no she doesn't she doesn't and enough of what her son said is true that she she never necessarily feels let down because the so so grandma has come from kansas to texas to be with her to 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 go to the place that her son left her. And uh, and he said it, you know, uh, he didn't oversell the homestead that he left her. Right. That actually turned out to be okay. But the yeah. town, and this might've been an accident of, of the local history. The town had been booming when her son was there last. Yeah. And of course the, the resources ran dry and now it's just a few uh, it, hangers on. It, it was a silver, it was a silver mine. And, 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 and the hangers on, they're still hanging on, even though they have no booze, they yeah, have yeah. no beer, they have um, nothing. Prostitute has the lone prostitute that's left has no client, <laughs> paying but, anyway. Yeah, yeah, and so when our heroes get there, uh, the town is dead. But you know, luckily Josie Wales will be able to give to them uh, the booty that he's taken from the Comancheros who had attacked Grandma and her daughter, uh, granddaughter. Yeah. Now, my understanding is that the Comancheros were like sort of a mixed group gang of bandits who would raid anybody they could and sell to native americans and to and to and to european settlers and basically you know traded with anybody but and, and robbed everyone as well um right. uh awful people and they are depicted quite awfully in here the film is manipulative here but but effectively so and not these are not guys who we're gonna be sympathetic to when josie wales and uh, uh, mows them down Sidebar. I might have been a little premature in calling the Comancheros thoroughly awful people uh, a moment ago, but th this, their story was probably more subtle like everything in the West was. The the word Comanchero first comes up in Spanish writings about people who are an ethnically diverse group of people who are trading primarily with the Comanche. But at about the Civil War time, the Comancheros would deal with the Comanche who were stealing uh, livestock from the Confederates, selling it to the Comancheros, and then the Comancheros would then sell it to the Union. And so I wonder if maybe in the uh, Forrest Carter novel, one of the reasons why the Comanchero are depicted so negatively in this in this scene that Jason and I are referring to is because of this association with the Union. That's supposition on my part. I, I don't know because I haven't read the novel, but it is a question I now have about their depiction. So into the sidebar. Grandma is is a kind of an endearing character. I don't. She's not always well acted, but but uh, I think that she's 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 decent enough. But what I was gonna say though was that when we meet her, she's opinionated and and sort of awful. Which I I I kept wondering what the car not awful, but she's opinionated and unpleasant. And I kept wondering what the Carter novel would have said about her, or if she, or if it yeah. is even the same way in the novel. After we meet Grandma, she and her granddaughter 
granddaughter are accosted by the Comancheros in a very violent raid, and Laura Lee is attacked by them. That's her daughter, her granddaughter. The Comancheros clearly have bad intentions with her. But I was a little shocked that this movie was a PG film because um, because the attack on Laura Lee is actually pretty harrowing for an R-rated movie. I mean, it stopped before anything happens to her, except but she is very violently stripped of her clothes. And and I remember th- I was, was watching. I was like, this is a PG movie. <laughs> Well, they didn't have PG-13 back then. Well, I mean... Maybe if they'd put a gremlin in a blender, uh, <laughs> they would have been able to invent the PG-13 uh, Maybe so. rating in 1976, but well, there yeah. were no gremlins to be found in this movie. But, but, but so, so anyway, so what I was referencing earlier, audience, about how another northerner free state person is is disparaged a little bit is, is, the, is the kind of line that Josie Wales says just before he tries to rescue the people. And that is that uh, proud Kansasinian, Kansas, Kansan, not so proud now, is she? Right. And, and I wouldn't, and, and as I was watching it, I, I felt that that was maybe more being a prisoner to the script, which in that scene, it works whether you, whether you're a lost cause person or or you're just Clint Eastwood making a movie. When I said I wanted to push back against you, it was my affection for the Kansans. I like the oh, Kansans. Yeah, I like them too. I'm, I didn't have um, a problem with them. But actually, but I agreed with what, a second ago. I agreed with what you said about that line. And if that's how the line was meant, I still agree with you. However, I think one could read that line as these people are just totally out of touch yeah. with what Texas is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think that, that I think that that's a fair. Reading. So, so I mean, I, I, I think that you can, I think the film, I, I think that the film very luckily or intentionally or skillfully or whatever, after the first act, it escapes, I think, probably some of the problems we would have with the Carter novel. Well, because, um, I mean, specifically Josie's relationship with, with Granny, yeah. that because he doesn't always take her very seriously and he does, he definitely thinks that she's out of touch. Yeah. But at the same time, later, she is able to exert a certain amount of authority that, that he's willing to accept yeah. just because I think because she's able despite everything she goes through despite the fact that a lot of her opinions are 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 manifestly kind of disproven yeah that that she she does not really fall apart she 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 adapts to every situation and i think that yeah and on top of that um the film while it does have that moment of of kind of darkness from whales about her depicts her after the arrival in the in this in wherever they end up in texas she is an enormously generous person and basically in like several of the people from the saloon Mm -hmm. join her on the homestead and this is very interesting because in the first part of the film i found it to be it it it, it kind of leaned towards political propaganda yeah in a in a very unpleasant way yeah unpleasant even for its time but certainly dated today yeah late in the film it almost becomes a statement about about alternative i mean okay this is a reach this is a reach but i mean but, but no it is this is definitely a reach this is definitely this is me looking at the movie with 2021 eyes yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the 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 third act and we skip the second act and i think that's fine because i think that actually what we're discussing is more important about this movie yeah. but the third act it almost becomes this kind of bizarre hodgepodge of people from from diverse backgrounds yeah. we've already established they're all from different states yeah. you have granny who you know we can kind of assume that she you know that, that, that her own experience 
experience was one that was typically Kansan. Yeah. We have the prostitute that you were talking about. We have the other guys in the saloon. I don't think we know what they do. Yeah. yeah. But they're all, at this point, they're all ne'er-do-well. Yeah, yeah, we have the chief who we have not talked about. Yeah, I mean, actually, I don't think I should call him the chief. He's the actor was a chief. Yeah, yeah. we have the Native American character who is really, I think, the second primary lead in the film. Little Moonlight. Who jo- yeah, who, who who Josie knows from from some other time, and and their relationship is kind of the central relationship of the movie. Well, and uh, you're talking you're talking about the woman that he rescues from the. No, I'm not. Ta- I'm not talking about her uh, yet. Even is she Cherokee? Um, no. The, the woman that they pick up uh, at, at uh, a little uh, trading post, she is a Navajo. That's right. She's a Navajo, and she she says that, but she doesn't speak. She doesn't speak English. English. And and she's abused. She's abused by the owner of the trading post. And the, who, the bounty hunters too that are also there. The, uh, yeah, but well, she's abused when she makes a mistake. Yeah. The bounty hunters try to buy her, yeah. and he says she's not for sale. But he does not lift a finger when they're basically going to rape her. Yeah, and and then Josie Wales shows up, and um, I, I guess in one of the in one of the bigger Eastwood esque oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. scenes of the movie, yeah. uh, and puts a stop to that, and then she becomes attached to him. So you have her, and she does not speak English, but she's incredible loyal to him yeah, and yeah. incredibly valuable you know throughout Absolutely. the yeah. film well she she seems to be as good a tracker a better tracker than than lone wati yes who's, yes who's the first who's the first misfit that that josie wales picks up on his travels west and uh and he hits it off with these two pretty quickly even though he doesn't necessarily i mean he claims josie wales just want to be left alone <laughs> Um, uh, but but yeah, he, he claims that, but he he never really resists any of these people joining him on their travels west. So but so he picks up Lone Wati, the Native American played by Chief Dan George, who's who is a gem in this movie. Yes, he has a lot of great stories. He he he's as an actor, he delivers his lines like a like just a, a very conversational way, a very naturalistic actor, very good. And he talks a little bit about the Cherokee Nation's issues with the. United States government and uh, like I said I, I suspect that the author of the novel was trying to link those two causes but in here it doesn't doesn't have to read that way the the cause right. of the charity right. and the and the Confederate States but but more just two guys who sort of don't have a place is what what I read the conversations between Lone Wadi and and Josie Wales I like anyway and they they become really good friends uh, on the on the course of their travels and and Lone Wadi I think is is very respectfully depicted in the film um he's not a sidekick he's a friend of josie wales i mean did you get that i mean i thought that the depiction of the native americans in the film was overall really pretty respectful which is which is which is something that not even a lot of westerns of the 70s could say certainly very few before that could say they're depicted as very capable people and 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 people with their own ideas and and agendas which i thought was kind of cool one of the things that's really funny is that now, does Lone Wadi sneak up on Clint Eastwood first, or does he sneak up on on him first? Oh, that's right. Josie Wales sneaks up on Lone Wadi first, and that that creates the the first funny monologue of Lone Wadi, where he yeah. complains a little bit about being able to be snuck up on yeah. in a city Indian for too long, and 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 his talking is it's a really cute scene where he's kind of 
giving his life story at gunpoint. And then Clint Eastwood kind of realizes that this guy isn't a danger to him. And he holsters his gun and goes and lays down. And the guy just keeps talking until Clint Eastwood takes a nap. And it's it's a, it's a nice little scene. And that and that's enough for them to kind of, that's enough for Lone Wadi to realize, well, this is a guy of a similar, a similar, we're similar people. And we're, we're kindred spirits, I guess, is what he comes to realize in that scene. And the same is true of uh, Little Moonlight. She's a kindred spirit with them too. What do you want yeah. to say about Little Moonlight? I'm sorry. No, no, well, 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 I mean, just the loyalty that all these characters end up having for each other, not just the three that we're talking about, but everybody else that joins. I mean, <laughs> there was actually a moment late in the film, including the including the fucking dog, by the way, yeah. where, where they're all kind of riding along together. And I'm just like, look at this Isle of Misfit toys here. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's another um, one of those moments. I, I, I like all of this stuff. I, I, I actually, aside from just classic Clint Eastwood, star power and 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 just real quick for a moment clint eastwood probably deserves to be called the greatest film star ever okay and 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 the reason i say that is because because uh whenever you see a list of you know the greatest film stars ever usually number one is humphrey bogart okay and i would not debate that but clint eastwood is one of those few performers that when he's on screen you're paying attention yeah And, and and he he can own the screen in ways that very few people can he's also as we know now in 2021 and this is one of the things one of the virtues of this film actually it's not a virtue of this film but it's in retrospect one can watch this film with through the lens of the knowledge of of, of clint eastwood being a great director yeah. who has won the best director oscar more than a couple times I'll, I'll ask you how many performers male or female in the history of hollywood can say that they were the greatest movie star of their time and then later became one of the best movie directors of their time. Oh, I, I'm sure that the number is 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 very small, uh, and he's at the top of the list. Look, I have I have some complaints about this film, and they're strong complaints. But I don't deny that he's one of the great American directors and uh, uh, of all time. No, and I, I, I guess I I guess I I don't have any reason to disagree with your idea about him being a movie star. Okay. You know, I don't I don't think I have any. I, I think that that's fine. I think that's I, I I agree with that statement. I think I can't think of any. Some people might some people might make a case for Burt Reynolds. But I don't think it's the same. I mean, Burt Reynolds is also a good star, but yeah, no, I think you're right. But where were we? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I was just uh, you, 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 were, you were just you were just talking about how awesome Clint Eastwood is uh, and multi-talented, and I think that's fair. But this segment of the movie, this group of outcasts sort of coming together and forming their own community, I think this is the best part of the movie. Now, of course, being in Texas at this time meant that you're sort of in an unsettled state and they have some problems with the Comanche, um, which were a very powerful Indian nation, even at this time, and a very, uh, I mean, very powerful and definitely were causing trouble uh, for Western expansion of the United States. Now, the Comanches take this band of outcasts uh, as an affront. I think, right? They don't like them there. They're led by a, a, a Comanche named Tin Bears, played by a very iconic actor of the time who was in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I'm sure he's been in a bunch of stuff. Will Sampson is his name. He's a, he's a giant, tall guy. And he's he's fine in this movie. He doesn't actually have a big part except to look imposing and have a have a neat little uh, negotiation with, with Josie. But the, the Comanche come and they take a few people hostage. And there's a cute little scene where where we, uh, not cute little scene, but it's a neat scene where Josie Wales talks about how they're going to defend the homestead if the Comanche come back and raid. This will come up later when the real bad guys show up. Again, the Union is going to be the real bad guys that come. But Josie Wales 
rides out uh, to meet the Comanche leader, Tin Bears. And I, I like this scene, but I don't know. Something makes me un, unsettled about it. And I don't know what it is, but I, I do like the scene. Josie Wales rides right up to the Comanche camp uh, to try and negotiate a settlement of uh, of with the with Tin Bears, okay. right? He's uh, right, right. Um, he rides up, and I I mean it, it's it's a well shot scene. It's actually really well acted. I think the dialogue's pretty good. I don't know exactly what makes me uneasy about it, but but he 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 does. I think he says all the right things to Tin Bears when he talks about, hey, look, I come here, we can make war, and that's fine. But hey, why don't we try and live together? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I'm coming here like this to you so that you know that, because uh, I mean, he does seem to know that the Comanches, have, like a lot of Native Americans, have, have not had great luck with treaties. And, well, and, he, and he rides out to Tin Bears in, in a way that is fairly powerful, even though he would die in this fight. He, uh, and in fact, he even says he expects to. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that, it's, that, that it's one way or the other. Yeah. yeah that, that he's going to die if it's no deal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, Tin Bears is probably going to die, too. They're too close for anything other than that. Right. But, but, but there was a lot that I liked about it. And there was there was a cool line that, that Josie says, you know, dying is easy for men like you and me. It's, we can kill yeah. each other right now and it's fine. Yeah. But, but he says, you know, what's what's harder is for us to live together. And he's like, you know, here's what I'm here's what I want to say to you. And he basically says, hey, you know, we're not going to take more than we we need from the land. We'll be like you guys. And when you guys are doing your travels, you can come and butcher some of our cattle to make jerky. And and, and so it's all very matter of fact, sort of funny when there's a neat moment where Tim Bear says, well, we can do that already. And, <laughs> yeah, right, right. And, and Josie Wells is like, well, I'm not offering you anything extra. I'm just offering you to li- live in peace. Uh, you know, we can live in peace and that's fine. We don't have to have this fight. And, you know, I mean, if, if you want to, if you want to have this fight, that's fine too. But I would rather we try this first I and mean, basically Josie Wales I think offers a nice settlement that, that Tin Bears also finds agreeable and I thought that was all pretty good well not only pretty good and, and actually I mean here I guess we could probably say that there is another moment that swipes the searchers yep. when the uh when the Comanches kind of shadow them yeah well, yeah, yeah, yeah they're riding along oh, that's right from absolutely. that's right out of the searchers but I, I I would I would submit something to you I would suggest something that the underlying premise of the movie I'm not talking about the book I've not read it mm-hmm. but the the underlying premise of the movie might be making you or not no, no it's not doing this because actually you said you like the scene you're just uneasy with it what i would suggest to you is that you're uneasy with it because of the underlying premise of the of the original writer but actually one of the things and you you have already said this about this film is that its depiction of native americans is top to bottom positive and virtuous yeah. because there's no doubt that the comanches are seen as vicious yeah. but that I would submit that this film is kinder to them than The Searchers, which is... Oh, it absolutely is, yeah, yeah. Which everyone sees as as an explicitly anti-racist film, and for good reason. But in this film, please notice that Ten Bears is persuaded yeah. that, yes, they are they are ready to make war. Yeah, yeah. They are ready to stand up to anybody. They're tired of being lied to. Yeah. But in this moment, this man has spoken to me, and he has persuaded me. Yeah, yeah. In other words, they are willing to listen to someone that's different from yeah. them. Well, the, the thing that I think that the film does well is that now, and I'm not even going to say that the 
you use the the term i think virtuous i have to listen to it again but but yeah. i don't want to say that the comanche were uniformly virtuous or or morally upstanding uh, in this film weren't they in oh this i film? don't think so i i mean i it doesn't it, the film doesn't say that and i don't want it to say that because okay. because for for me the, the virtue of the film here is that it lets the comanche just be the comanche and okay. they are a sovereign okay. people with their own sovereign concerns and they are a sovereign nation with their own ideas i i, I don't i'm not an expert on the comanche i've i uh, but one of the things i dislike about almost as much as depicting native americans uh, as brutal savages is depicting them as utterly noble savages there are differences in technology there are differences in in uh in technological advancement or whatever but i think that humans are broadly speaking similar across cultures humans do bad things humans do good things and so i would rather people be depicted as they are without propagandizing one way or the other and i think that actually this film manages to do that pretty well even for the southern confederates well i i mean even for the southern confederates i would i would the, the thing that bothers me a lot about this film is the lack of balance and, and the way in which that balance tilts to make the, the, the northern free people, the northern free states. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the ape, the, the, the advanced yeah, apes. Planet of the Apes, yes. Planet of the yes. Apes. Now, I'm sure not everybody in the South was a was a was a crazy savage that liked to to beat African Americans, you know, you know what I mean? But right. what I would what I would like would have been some balance from the other side. Like uh, yeah, yeah. You, you know what I mean? I think that that's one of the things that bothers me about the film. The other thing, of course, that is hard not to notice is is when you think about the film deeply is the incredibly anti-statist, anti-government rant that Josie Wales sort of goes on with this conversation with with uh, with uh, Tin Bears. And of course, I mean, that would be music to somebody like Tin Bears' ears. Yes. Wait, okay. No, so, so I want to stop you there for a second. I see what you're saying about the anti-government rant. But if he had not done the anti-government rant, wouldn't that have been phony? Because in this instance, instance he's trying to convince somebody not to kill him and his friend yeah yeah no no you I you see what i'm saying no, absolutely absolutely i i agree and so the film becomes this for me this kind of exercise and like what is Clint Eastwood trying to say, and I'm, all, I'm I'm trying to suss that out sometimes when I'm watching this film. This scene works better than the early part, and indeed, and there's some elements of truth to 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 what Josie Wales says a little bit. You know, people, the way the government organizes society takes a little while to trickle down into the neighborhood, right? Yeah. Um, and so, so I think that there's some element of truth in that. But dude, give me fucking government organization over frontier life any day of the goddamn week. So I, I disagree with Josie Wales a little bit here, but I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. But do these characters have to think the same way as us? No, no, no and that's and that's that's fair too. And that's fair too. I think that they might be a little bit wrong. I don't think that they've read their Hobbes. <laughs> is what I want to say. And they might want to do that, but they don't have to agree with me. The scene, I think, the scene works. But the more you start to think about Eastwood and his politics and Carter and his politics, the the more you have to grapple with this movie. I think, don't you think? I I do. And actually, a lot of what you have said has con has convinced me of some problems that maybe I didn't, especially what you said about the Union troops and, and, and the need for balance. I agree with that. However, if you, if you take the Union troops and you factor them out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I think everything else that you just said about what you would like to see, where uh, the Native Americans are not portrayed as virtuous, which is what I said, but you rather they're portrayed as almost neither good nor bad, or just they're, following their following their own interests. They're people. They're people with their they're people they're, with their own culture. I right, that, right. That's what I think. Yeah. If you look at the Kansans that way, yeah, yeah. If you look if you look at Josie Wales that way. If you look at the people from that, I think unnamed town. I can't remember the name of the yeah. town. And and you look at them that way. Then I think the film, its uh, Union Cavalry villains aside, does very well with just showing people reacting to the culture that's in front of them. No, I, and for and for most of them, that's a very practical culture. Even yeah. Josie Wales, who you know he was just a a very poor farmer, yeah, who was pissed off. He's angry at these at these Union troops, yeah, specifically the ones that killed his family. But there's never any evidence that he has any political ideas aside from he does not like, as you said, he does not like the government. Okay. But he's also this person who is situated in a certain experience yeah. and he's reacting in such a way that a person might react to that kind of experience. What I, what I would submit to you is that a propaganda film would be someone who in kind of this Kantian uh, categorical imperative kind of way would say, well, you know, I'm really pissed off, but I have to think about how every human being is an end in themselves. And that would have been propaganda. Yeah. yeah. Right? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that the film could have gotten out from under this problem if they had just made the leader of the Red Legs and the Red Legs themselves the problem. That that, that the union would then be like, well, that's not what we wanted. And and then the vendetta would be, it would make a little more yes. sense. And I, 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 would have, I would have achieved the balance that I think, well, that a film like sort of a Dances with Wolves navigates this a little better. There's some there's some there's some nasty elements of the union army uh, and there's some non-nasty exactly exactly that's right no that that's that's a very good point that we could write a scene right now where there are some soldiers that that have some questions about what the hell they're doing yeah yeah. and bill mckinney pulls out a a bowie knife and is like you know would you really want to you know challenge me on that yeah Yeah, yeah. you know in other words he's the psychotic commander of this cavalry unit and the other guys they would rather go home yeah yeah I mean, yeah, there, right. there, there were ways that they could have written themselves that, that, that Kaufman and, and uh, uh, Chernos could have written themselves out of this trouble, but 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 they didn't. So so we're sort of left with like Acts two and three being fairly strong. I think. I see. I think that of course we agreed about the early scene. You've convinced me about a lot. Yeah. But I want to. I still want to push back to you uh, 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 or against your statement that Acts two and three are only fairly strong. Okay. I think they're very strong. Okay. I think that uh, I think they're really well done. I like the way the film depicts these characters. I mean, as you said, you know, this is a film from 1976. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm going to guess that when when I suggested this movie and you thought of, of iconic lines, that one of them was "Dying ain't much of a living." Right to the top of my brain. <laughs> and I can actually remember the scene pretty well. You know, uh, the, a lot of bounty hunters are after Josie Wales. There's a lot of money being offered for this character. And that's actually a scene that's pretty well done. So in, in the film, when they get to this weird town that probably has a name that has escaped both Jason and I, a couple bounty hunters are waiting there. They 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 predict pretty accurately that, that he might go there. And one of them goes in. Great character actor, name's escaping me at the moment. He comes in and is like, I'm looking for Josie. 
Josie Wales. I reckon you found him. It's like, there's a big, big price on your head, Josie Wales. I reckon I'm right popular. And you're a bounty hunter. And the guy says, well, somebody's got, you got to make a living somehow these days. And Josie Wales utters the line, I ain't much of a living. And then Josie Wales, this indicates something that I think is kind of interesting about the character. He's like, you don't have to do this. You can just ride on. You, know, you can leave. We don't have to do this. And it's the first moment where he's, where the revenge movie, we see that the revenge movie was not properly built. That wasn't the right billing because Josie yeah. Wales really is trying to get to Texas to basically avoid all of the conflict. Yes. Start over, whatever. And which is which which is a more interesting movie. It is a more interesting movie. Absolutely. Because yeah. because we've seen the revenge movie a bunch of times. And I don't mind seeing another revenge movie. Right. You know, I don't mind seeing it. But I, I I was I was very interested in this in this Josie Wales trying to get to a more peaceful place. Even though he I mean you get the sense that if these red legs did cross paths with him he'd be fine killing him but he doesn't seem driven in the pursuit of that goal right yeah, right so i think that that's interesting but the bounty hunter is nervous because josie wales is a is 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 basically a superhuman being with pistols right um, right and he swallows he gives all the external signs that he's nervous and he walks out and leaves and josie wales never takes his hand off the gun and this is a really nice moment when the guy comes back in and says i had to come back and josie wales says i know i know you did and so it's that understanding of this man's honor. Josie Wells had this understanding of this man's honor driving him back into this situation. And this is a this is the kind of acting that Clint Eastwood is actually really good at. And it, it conveys like a kind of sadness that he's going to have to do what he's going to have to do, which is kill and this does. guy. And does. And it's a good scene. And the guy's buddy escapes, but, uh, and goes and tells other people about Josie Wales being where he's at, which will cause trouble later on. That, that's one of the scenes that pop up in my head. The other scene that pops up uh, the line is when uh, Josie Wales and, and Lone Waddy are talking as they're writing. Uh, welcome to Texas, Mr. Lone Waddy. I guess we ain't going to see that little Navajo girl again. Well, I guess not. I kind of liked her. Then it's always like that. Like what? Whenever I get to liking someone, they ain't around long. I notice when you get to disliking someone, Staying around for a long <laughs> and, and and those are the two scenes that kind of pop up in my head. And of course, the iconic scene where where he has the talk with Tin Bears. So after the talk with Tin Bears, there is no conflict. The homestead, he brings back the people. Tin Bears hasn't killed the people he kidnapped. And but you know, but it's really cool that they show him prepare everybody for how to defend the yeah, homestead. Absolutely. And well, uh, even though it never, even though it never happened, well, I mean, it does happen it, later on. It, it comes does up, happen, but but not from the Manchies. Exactly, exactly. So so it's a nice way. This is this is sort of this is not sort of this is really clever filmmaking. So we get this sense that the Comanche are gonna attack this homestead and we're gonna have a big pitched battle with them, but that doesn't happen at all. Right. The Comanche are like, well, these this homestead's okay. Right. They're, they're fine. And Clint Eastwood brings back the prisoners and the homestead sort of starts to fall into its own rhythm. But that's when the as an audience member, you're like, Well, is this ever gonna pay off? And of course, the homestead will be defended in exactly the way that Eastwood says it will be when the red legs come and try and bring in Josie Wales. And I mean, this is also a clever scene. Again, if I imagine that this is this guy and his red legs are just a lone posse of like profiteers and, and people with no ethics, this scene works really well, right? Yeah. If they're not an arm of the union, it's sort of clever because because uh, the leader of the red legs thinks he's got Josie Wales by himself and all these rifles pop out of the house through the fortifications in the house. Well, there's something else about the scene that I wanted to give Clint Eastwood as a director credit for because uh, you're right.
but he says Josie Wales and and it's just him and Josie and then suddenly all these other soldiers come come riding in now most westerns before this movie would have had a line of cavalrymen about a million miles away you know yeah. you'd have this long shot and then you would just have Josie Wales with his guns and whether there was a charge or not there would be a great deal of distance between the two of them yeah and they come up to within three feet of him oh yeah yeah, yeah. I loved that because yeah. it was it was very intimidating Absolutely. like you know you know we're not fucking around we're we're here to kill you yeah and and of course Josie does not move but it's kind of a tense moment we kind of assume everyone's got his back but they come in pretty close oh yeah, yeah. he's clearly in a lot of danger but also this closeness will give him somewhat of an advantage early on but I do sort of like that that the violence in this film is often very up close yeah um, yeah that's what I'm saying yeah it's quite intense in that way for me as I was watching I was like well this is actually really good like I don't know if Josie Wales like, if you see this for the first time audience you're like well I don't know if Josie Wales is gonna make it out of this because this is something that western movies will do western yeah. movies are not not as afraid to kill the hero off as other genres of film so if you're yeah. watching this for the first time you might not well is Josie Wales gonna make it out of this so it's a tense moment but for me the other thing I was thinking when this was happening was wow for a guy who favors pistols this is great yeah and, and, and I and I doubly think this because I am a terrible pistol shot audience. Yeah. I am. I've never really mastered that part of shooting. Uh, I don't shoot pistols a lot. But it's it's always been a mystery to me. But if you're a guy like that, so I so if I was gonna deal with people with pistols, I would basically want them like at arm's length, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. and Josie Wales is actually not that far away from arm's length for for this fight, and and that's great for for him. And and he guns a lot of people down, and his people gun his friends, his his new family, I guess. His you know they 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 joined in the fight, and this is actually a very exciting finale. The villain, uh, Colonel, uh, sorry. Uh, Captain Terrell gets winged and when he sees that the battle has turned against him rather quickly and rather violently I mean this is a really uh, this actually is a fun scene uh, action scene he turns tail and, and runs like like every 80s supervillain he's like I'm out of here <laughs> you all can die for me <laughs> bye bye Clint Eastwood almost has him but he's out of he's out of ammo and uh, right. and he hops on his horse he's been wounded too and he rides after the guy and this this I, I'll skip to the end here he catches up with the guy and this is really nice in, in the way it reveals what a coward Captain Terrell is because Eastwood walks him down just pulling the trigger of his empty weapons on the guy and every time the guy winces and I think it's really effective intimidation on the part of, of Wales and and it is a nice revenge moment and Terrell desperate has a desperation move where he tries to extract his saber and this is another nice moment where Eastwood basically lets him get it out far enough so that he can help him commit seppuku with it and it's, this is a nice scene this is all great action western stuff and that brings us to the close uh which reunites eastwood with his old friend from the beginning of the movie fletcher who had who who i want to talk about this because we've talked a little bit about yeah. how this film borrows from a lot of films sometimes effectively sometimes not effectively and the fletcher character strikes me as sort of a recreation of wild bunch yes. he's he's the he's the former member of the gang who gets told 30 days to bring him back with 
30 days and back to Yuma. And he's got to hunt down his old friend. John, uh, sorry, John Vernon is a great actor and he does the best he can with the material he's given, but he is not written well. He thinks he has to hunt down Josie because Josie's going to kill everybody. And it doesn't, we are never given a reason as to why he would do that. Now, initially, initially they do a good job. He was lied to. Yeah. But after that, there should have been a, well, you guys all lied. I don't owe you anything. Yeah. Or some reason why he goes along with them. Yeah. And they ne- and they never give that. I that's no. that's another glaring we're, flaw. We're, as the audience were left thinking, okay, so it seems to me in the early scenes he he agrees to go after Josie Wales because he doesn't think he's safe. And he, right. he, he thinks that Josie Wales might go on a killing rampage. Right. And because and he says something like, Because of you, I have to kill this man now. Yeah. But they don't expand on this at all. He mostly is just there like Colonel Troutman in Rambo to talk about how awesome Josie Wales is. <laughs> five guys. Five guys. It'll take more than five guys to kill Josie Wales. <laughs> you want to go back? Josie Wales has got this figured out. <laughs> Josie Wales will eat things that will make a billy goat puke. <laughs> I mean, mostly, I mean, that's that's what he functions as. And and so this scene, it wants to do a lot of heavy lifting, emotional lifting, where he yeah. and where Fletcher and Wales kind of have a, a meeting of the minds. Yes. And because they're because he's such a good actor, the scene works. It's just not set up right. It's not set up right. The writing hit John Vernon's it's, acting, John Vernon's acting makes this scene. The writing doesn't. It, it's unearned. Yeah. The film could have and oh. should have earned this. Yeah. And so you said that Fletcher goes along to you know prevent jo- Josie Wales from killing and pillaging. After seeing all of his men betrayed and slaughtered, yeah. why would he care? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, why would he have that motivation at all? Yeah. I mean, he, he already, and I think that we can kind of see this through most of the movie, he doesn't think much of himself. Now, yeah. the character that you're talking about in Wild Bunch, he struggles the whole movie, but he has a consequence that is dangled over his head, and it's dangled over our head, too. Yeah. That doesn't happen here. No, no. And um, it, it doesn't make any sense. I, know, I agree with that. I like the character. I like some of the ideas that could have been, you know, added on to the character, but it's not explored. Yeah. And in part, it, it's possible that they didn't explore more of it because the film is already quite long. And there's also, there's already a lot of material about Josie and his outcasts to get through. But I don't know that you would have had to, just a few lines of exposition would have worked to earn this scene. You know, just a few lines I, of, yeah. of Fletcher's motivation, like, I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this because I, I I don't want maybe I don't want I'm not doing this for you. I don't want you guys to kill Josie. I, if if anybody's going to kill Josie, you know it'll be me. Or you know yeah. there could have been any number of things could have happened. I just actually echoed the Troutman motivation from Rambo. I didn't mean to do that, but but <laughs> but uh, but but yeah, it's not earned. I think it's a good scene. It's a good scene that 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 only works because I think John Vernon's a good actor. Well, I mean they could have said your wife's waiting for you in Alabama. Alabama and yes. do you want to have a living with her it, it didn't have to be something something real upstanding it could yeah, have yeah, been yeah. something I mean it could have been something that he you know that challenged him and that he struggled with throughout the film because yeah. you know oh, I've got a wife and kid waiting for me at home I haven't seen them in years and yeah. I just want to be home with them some reason oh, yeah. some reason why he would do this it may not have been a reason that we would have liked oh yeah 
but just something, some kind of conflict. Yeah. And there, and there really wasn't anything. I agree with you. I, and because every time John Vernon was on screen, I felt his presence. Yeah. But I also kind of felt like you're doing these lines. Great. But why are you doing what you're doing? Like, 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 why are you here? Why are you still with these people? Yeah. And, and that I, I agree that did not make any sense either. That, that along with the universally psychotic union soldiers are, are, I, I agree. You've, You've, so, you've so talked to me. You you've talked me into that. Those are okay. those are big problems. So so audience, the scene we're talking about is uh, Fletcher is the guy who led the Confederates to surrender, and then they were all betrayed by the bloodthirsty Union soldiers. He and a couple of Texas Rangers are in this town whose whose name Jason and I have forgotten, uh, looking for Josie Wales. And the town these 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 sort of like just these these town members who are just hanging out in a place that has nothing to offer really, but they got no place to go have adopted. Josie Wales and they're basically stringing a story about how Josie Wales has died. He walks in wounded and they're like, oh, hey, Mr. Wilson. And they're basically covering for him because they like him and, and they know that he likes them. And the two Texas Rangers are like, well, I guess that's that. Josie Wales is dead. Well, thanks. Have a good day, Mr. Wilson. Fletcher, of course, sees through all of it because he knows Josie Wales personally. The, the Texas Rangers leave and Fletcher says, well, you know, I don't think that's right. I don't think Josie Wales is dead. And, and he he basically has a little moment with Josie Wales and says, I think he might be down in Mexico. I think I'll try and find him. And I'll tell him that the war is over. You know, you can, and he's basically saying that I'm not going to come for you anymore. You don't have to do anything anymore fighting. It's over. Wait, is, so that's, that's what I thought. Then I thought about it. Yep. He says he's going to Mexico to find him. Yeah. Is he really saying I'm not going to, or, or is he giving him a head start? Oh, that's a good question. That's a good question. Yeah. Well, I think he's, I think he's saying that just so he can, tell Josie in that moment look the war's over I'm not I'm not I, I'm not hunting you anymore because because the line that he gives the war's over we don't it seems to me that he's saying that the pursuit is done you don't have to keep running anymore. Uh, right okay now I heard that I heard that yep. when I was watching it and it made me think oh he's gonna give up or I'm so I'm gonna go to Mexico to find him and tell him the war is over is that his way of telling him the war is over by yeah. killing him because way if he had surrendered would have been shot yeah right okay, he, would, yeah. he would have he, he would have been dead if he is going to continue to do what he does i'm going to go tell him the war is over see what i mean I like think so. you know, i I think that I, I found it ambiguous. I, I found it ambiguous. Okay, okay. I think that might be more subtle than this film is, is though it could be. It could be. I don't know if I can go there. I have to think about that. I, well, I mean, I'm not. I, I'm not sure either. I actually found the ending to be re somewhat ambiguous because the Rangers are already gone. Yeah. Why does he say I'm going to go to Mexico to look for him and tell him the war is over? Is that for the other people there? Yeah. I. I I thought he was just sort of continuing the ruse just okay, for, the, I mean, for the sake of the theater uh, of what they were all doing. He was pretending so, he didn't see, like if he really wanted to kill Josie Wales, why not just say, Hey, that's Josie Wales there. And he and the, the Rangers could have probably brought him down. He was injured. Yeah. Okay. But, but right. But what I'm saying is, is that, ah, and, and you're right because they actually, there is uh the camera lingers on his boot yeah. and he's clearly bleeding. Yeah, yeah. But I would go back to what I said. He wants to give him a head start, you know, that he, he 
owes him that. Okay, maybe. Uh, and, and he, yeah. Well, 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 I think he says something about you know that that, that I owe him that. No, yeah, okay. Uh, you know, because he keeps referring to Josie in the third person. Yeah. And they both and they both knew who the hell they're talking about. Yeah. And so I felt the ending was ambiguous. Now the problem with the with the my suggestion about the uh, about the ambiguous ending that Fletcher would hunt him. Well, all the Union troops that are making him do it are dead. Why would he do that? Yeah, yeah. And then the film so, also seems to want to borrow a little bit from Shane with with Eastwood hopping up on the the horse wounded and riding off. You did not like the things that were swiped the from other films. It's not that I dislike them. It's just that I noticed them. And and sometimes I think the trick to a good homage is to to bury it in things a bit. Yeah. And I, I look, it actually doesn't bother me that much. It's just that I there are a lot of them and I notice them. There's the door frame shot when he kicks open the door of the place where he where he saves little moonlight. Yeah. And he's framed in the door and just like John uh, Wayne. That's yeah. out of the searchers, straight out of well, not just out of the searchers, out of a lot of John Ford movies. And I don't think there's anything wrong with any of that. Like I said, there's just a lot of things that pile up and you notice them if you're if you're if you're a student of film like we are, Jason. Right, right. Um, yeah, you're, you're you're right. You're right. But that. but but anyway, so that's the closing shot of, of him shaning away into the sunset. At the end of the movie, Shane, fucking spoiler, uh, he gets shot. Uh, the film has an ambiguous ending where he hops on the horse and rides a hops on his horse and rides away. Did he die? A lot of people think he that that's that's him dying riding away, or did he ride off just wounded into the sunset? Now this this movie certainly seems to indicate that that Clint Eastwood is just Josie Wales is just wounded and he's off to go be in Pale Rider or. <laughs> something but but yeah that's the end of the film is there anything else you want to touch on before we before uh we... just just real quick well, well actually there's two things there's two Shoot. things i want to touch on one I'll, I'll give my my statement about the score which i like to do mm-hmm. and i, I like love this i love the score of this movie yeah now uh, uh as i mentioned early uh john fielding also did wild bunch score is similar i think the score is better the score is better than the wild bunch's score and i i like both but actually in listening to this separate from the movie it actually occurred to me and i'm not sure if this is an illusion on my part i think this is one of those scores that people know just from osmosis okay. it's something that you'll hear played once in a while it, i mean it's might be of Patton, the uh the main score it was okay. very militaristic yep. had a lot of uh, kind of militaristic kind of drums to yep. it but there were also there was banjo there were moments that almost sounded like synthesizer so okay. i thought that it was i thought it was very creative and traditional at the same time Okay. And it was something that that I actually I have to confess I didn't notice a lot while I was watching it. No, I don't mean to step on your score notes. Jason is the score master, the lore master of score mastering. But I always like Eastwood's scores. I think he yeah. often because he's a musician himself, and okay. I always his scores never seem to overpower the film. They always seem to. I like the score. I like the score. It's a, I think it's a very nice western score, but it is it is subtle in a way that I think the movie often isn't. I quite like. <laughs> It. And I think it, I think I think Eastwood's own understanding of music helps him to direct his 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 musicians. Anyway, go on. Sorry, I didn't mean to step on your toes there. As I was listening to it tonight, it actually occurred to me that you know I I kind of wondered where it would rank yep. among the films that we've reviewed okay. on this podcast, and I actually started trying to come up with the top ten of the movies the scores of the movies that we've done. Mm-hmm. I kind of like to do that at some point, but this this would rank very high. I actually I I really really like it. I thought it was very effective. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I think it works. Yeah, I think it works. Yeah, just a classic story. And the and the other little trivia note, and I would just kind of throw this out there to anybody, you know, who's a fan of film as kind of a, a suggestion or a question. Um, I do know that uh, a lot of the scenes in this movie were shot around Powell Lake. Okay. In I think in Utah. Okay. Is what I had looked up. But the reason I looked it up is because in the scene where the Kansans are killed and Sandra Locke's character, who by the way we didn't talk about her very much, uh, but but her character doesn't really have a lot. Of, yeah. of lines or material but the scene where she is nearly raped yeah. I am almost I'm 99% certain that the hill that um, that kind of overlooks where the rape almost occurs yeah. was used in Planet of the Apes oh. when the three when the three astronauts come down the hill okay yeah and and, and they uh, fall down and then they kind of pat each other and they get up and they keep walking through the yeah. desert because because Planet of the Apes was shot around Powell Lake. Okay. And okay. and uh when I saw the hill, I was like, oh shit, I, I know that hill. Charlton Heston's right, right around there somewhere. Right, right, right. With a cigar in his mouth, you know, looking for plants, you know, growing up in the desert and this kind of thing. And so I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Speaking of the Kansans, though, when the uh, grandma responds to the shopkeeper saying, I'm a Hoosier myself, and she says, Never have had a high opinion of the of them either. Hoosiers, yeah, uh, yeah. As Hoosiers, we actually Actually, I think I can speak for you here. We actually share her opinion of most of our state. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, I like grandma too. She's, she's not wrong about a lot of who. Well, I, I think it's more than implied that, that, that uh, she, she and uh, Lone Wadey are going to settle down. Yeah. Well, he's together. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's certainly his plan. Yeah. And, and, and it's kind of unspoken between them. Yeah. And he just kind of recognizes that that in her, maybe she won't say it to anyone else. Maybe that's her, the Kansan in her. Yeah. But she she's totally going to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they they get on right away. Yeah. Well, she she's very practical. Yeah. Despite despite her very strong opinions. Yeah. Like even when she talks about she says a she says that prayer about Josie Wales being brought to the light of God or something. I I can't remember what she says, but when she says it, he just kind of accepts it, yeah. even though it's not really. Yeah. Accurate. <laughs> Yeah. And, and 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 I almost feel like that that even after he demonstrates that it's not accurate, that doesn't fit. Like nothing phases her. No, no. Um, she has these opinions, but she doesn't hold it against anybody when they don't conform to them. Yeah. And, and she doesn't even hold it against reality when it doesn't conform. Right, to, right. To, right. I, uh, I I I think she's a very likable character. No, she absolutely is. She absolutely is. She's a she's actually a fairly well written character. I think as are a lot of his outcasts and the verdict. This is my opinion, folks. I know that a lot of people think that this is one of the great, great Westerns of the world. Morgan Freeman, I was reading this today, this is one of his favorite films of all time, Outlaw Josie Wales. Roger Ebert gave this a film three stars out of four. For me, the film feels more like an, it's a very imperfect film for me and it feels more like Clint Eastwood still trying to find his own voice as a director. He's not the guy who will make almost perfect films in the 90s, but this is a guy who is still leaning on the ideas of filmmakers past and some of the techniques of filmmakers past and there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing at all wrong with that and 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 the film isn't bad for that reason or it's not bad maybe at all this film doesn't quite work for me 
as it does for a lot of people. The first act is sort of a mess. The film doesn't live up to its synopsis, and that's not necessarily its fault. It might be the fault of the the uh, the the distributors. Some of the writing of its its key characters, like Fletcher, don't make sense. But there is a heart of the film that I think the the second and third acts are certainly worth reviewing. And and I guess I will recommend the film with those qualifications. That uh, there's a lot of things to grapple with in the film that I don't think Eastwood necessarily intended for us to grapple with about the nature of history and about the nature of people and the nature of uh, I guess uh, atrocity and and in the service of uh, building a country I guess uh, the film is situated in a in an unfortunate context I guess for itself yes. but it is worth it is worth looking at something like this and grappling with even its imperfect presentation of these ideas and you also get like a great third act of action sequence so lukewarm yes see it but know that there are problems that you're probably going to have with it audience jason what's your verdict let's hear it my verdict i i have to say that there's more than a few things that you pointed out that i did not notice the first time that i watched it your criticism of um, or max's criticism of the of the union troops being portrayed in kind of an exaggerated way in which all of the members of this army are these psychotic creatures that just are eager to seize away the freedom of these Native American peoples and these Southern peoples who did enslave people. I, I I think you're quite right about that. That is that is a problem of the film. The writing of the John Vernon character as Fletcher uh, is a is a problem of the film. The context of the film is a problem. I I was I was I was troubled when I when I found out about the nature of the writer, Boris Carter, and and just who he was because I mean despite people knowing this for a while I didn't know it yeah, uh, either yeah. one of us did you know and I was very I was very disturbed by that and I think the scenes that play to that narrative don't work for me however I I would depart from Max's verdict because I feel like that the, the vast majority of the film despite the context actually achieves what what Max was talking about and what Max brought up about that for the rest of the film many of the characters are portrayed as just human beings uh, trying to survive in this in this frontier situation in which they are often angry at other people uh, around them because they feel like that they have been treated unjustly by them and maybe they have uh, maybe they have not maybe they're reacting as Josie Wales might be in a uh, exaggerated although Max even points out that Josie Wales is not trying to find vengeance he's really just kind of looking for peace so I actually think that if one can avoid the context of the film and I, and I would submit that except for the things that Max pointed out quite correctly, the film for the most part does escape that context and that a lot of things that the film does well, it does extremely well. The score is is fantastic. It's a classic score. It's one that, that the ear of most people would recognize. The cinematography of Bruce Surtees, who uh, shot a lot of Clint Eastwood's films uh, over the years, is is, is luscious and, and, and gorgeous. And I, I mentioned one of the uh, one of the shots of the cavalry coming up and meeting uh, Clint Eastwood right in a row and and right up in his face, and which was not cliched at all. Max has pointed out several scenes that were rather cliched, and this is Clint Eastwood as a director trying to, to find kind of finding his way. But I think I think that he makes it all 
all work well enough that this is a film that approaches greatness. I think that you've talked me out of it being great film. You said Roger Ebert said three out of four. I think I would agree with that. I, I would recommend this to people. I would recommend it as a, a, a really, really good film in, in the middle of Clint Eastwood's career that channels some of the iconic nature of his films that he made with Sergio Leone in the 60s, but maybe, maybe prefiguring some of the character-driven material that would come later in Unforgiven in the 90s, although there are some character problems that we that we pointed out with this film. I think for the most part, it, it, it gives us a lot of what we like in Clint Eastwood, and it gives us a lot of what we like when we view movies. I would recommend this movie with less hesitation. I, th- I mean, I mean, Max did recommend it. I would recommend it more enthusiastically with a with a mention of the context and some of the some of the narrative problems that we both agreed on that we just discussed. But that's my opinion. All right, folks, that's the verdict. I'll let you guys decide whose verdict is closer to reality. Um, <laughs> and I'll only report to Jason the ones that favor my opinion. All right, so uh, uh, well, Jason. What are we doing next week? I decide, right? You decide. It's your turn. So here's what I'll ask you. I'll give you a choice. Do you want to do a more modern movie? Or do you want to do a, a, a more classical film uh, from the ancient days of... Hold on here. Uh, either this year or... What's the year? Hold on here. So Just hold on here. I want to say 1960-something or other. <laughs> Oh, I'm glad you narrowed it down there. I have I have two choices in my mind. The other film would be one from this year. Yeah, one from this year. It um I think it ended up actually I think I think it got released in theaters and I think it's also right up on Netflix right now. Well, then let's do that one. Okay, okay. Let me. Re- I can't remember. What that. is it? Hold on, just shut the. <laughs> fuck okay, the film that I want to do is called Gunpowder Milkshake. Oh, great! And it's an action movie starring Karen Gillian, favorite Doctor Who companion, and uh, this is. Uh, this film stars Karen Gillian, Lena Headey, Carla Gugino, Michelle Yeoh, Joanna Bobin, Freya Allen, Paul Giamatti. Those are all the... Angela Bassett. Ooh, Angela Bassett's always great. Yeah. Um, those, those are the biggest names that I can, I can spot. So Gunpowder Milkshake, it's on Netflix. Audience, watch it before we do and so you can kind of join us on the on the discovery yeah Yeah, exactly and we don't have to constantly say spoiler spoiler anyway (laughs) um so you guys will be in in the know with us share us on social media share us on facebook twitter instagram wherever you share things with people Uh, give us a five-star review on apple it helps people find us if you like us and even if you don't give us a five-star review lie through your teeth to help us boost the (laughs) signal jason you don't have a social media presence do you You don't have any place you're at you don't have a Twitter where you where you badger I do anything. I, I I have an email address. Okay, okay. Well, I don't want to give out your personal email address. So if you're inclined, email us at lordmovies39 at gmail.com. You motherfuckers don't ever do that, so don't worry about it. <laughs> I can be found at the supper test on Twitter, and you can reach me there. Next week, guys, gunpowder milkshake. And that's the that's all I got. Bye. Right, bye. Josie Wales just want to be left alone. Then I started watching the movie and I was like shit maybe we really shouldn't do this yeah 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 i've got like five pages of notes but but uh uh but i can't read any of them so it's a little bit more information than i needed why are you a weirdo (laughs) (laughs) it'll creep up on you real quick you know burnett's will last you weeks won't last us weeks but it will last normal people (laughs) weeks
Right, all right, all right, all right. I'm gonna collect the, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy all of them and memorize all the files and just yes. be an expert on everything. And I sustained that for a little while. <laughs>